Welcome to the Storytime Clinic, where children's books and health collide. I am your host, Dr. Mfon Omarin, and every week I spotlight a children's book featuring a character with a health condition. My goal is to inspire conversations that will help all of us better understand and support kids with health conditions. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode number two of the Storytime Clinic. Well, today, before we get started, I have a critical question for you guys. Back when you were a kid in school, what would you have done if you had the ability to eavesdrop on your teacher at any given moment, anywhere in the school building, all day, every day? So much power so many possibilities. (laughs) Well, for anyone who is wondering what has gotten into me, this is the juicy situation facing our heroine, Cece, in this week's book, El Defo. El Defo is a chapter book written for children ages 8 to 12 years, and it was written by Cece Bell, who is a talented author and illustrator. Kind of like our book last week, it is a partial memoir about the author's life and experiences growing up with hearing loss. Somehow, when I was buying this book, I missed the fact that it was a graphic novel, meaning that the entire story is written like a comic book. But it was a pleasant surprise. I think it was a fantastic choice, and I felt that the visuals were a really effective and fun way to tell the story. But I'll come back to that part in a little bit. First of all, let's dig into talking about hearing impairment. So how common is hearing impairment in kids anyway? About one in 500 kids born in the U.S. every year is born deaf or hard of hearing. That ends up being about 6,500 children. In probably about half of those cases that are present at birth are because of a genetic cause. Uh, The other ones are caused by things like prematurity, problems during the birth process, infections during pregnancy, um, or other environmental problems. And there's probably about 25% of those that we never really know a cause or a reason for the hearing loss. Well, how does hearing work? Our ears have three parts, the outer, the middle, and the inner ear. So sound waves come in through the outer ear, and they're kind of funneled through the ear canal. They then get to the eardrum, where they're conducted through vibrations um, from the eardrum to the bones in the middle ear. And then they get into the inner ear. This continues to transmit the vibrations uh, before passing them on to the auditory or the hearing nerve. And that nerve takes all those sensations to the brain to get processed. Speech development depends on this hearing input. And so that's why it's very critical to catch hearing loss early, because the time between birth and three years of age is very crucial for language development. Universal newborn hearing screening was adopted by various states in the USA between the 1990s and the early 2000s. And so this means that pretty much every baby gets a hearing test before they leave the hospital after they're born. Before this, hearing loss was picked up after a child started showing signs. So for example, seeming not to respond to sounds around them, um, seeming 
inattentive or like they were not paying attention when their name was called, for example. And then having delayed speech, not really meeting those uh, important milestones or developing speech that is hard to understand. Before newborn screening, the average age of diagnosis of a newborn hearing problem was about two and a half years of age. So that's a significant amount of time. Uh, And now with newborn screening, that age of diagnosis has come down significantly. And so kids with hearing loss are getting picked up at around two and a half months instead. And so that helps us uh, intervene earlier with different options that can help them hear better and uh, develop those language skills earlier. Okay, so getting back to Cece and El Defo. Cece was born with normal hearing, and she develops hearing loss as the result of an infection of meningitis when she was four years old. So even if a baby has a normal newborn hearing screen, they're not completely out of the woods because there's several ways that hearing loss can be acquired later in life. So for example, an infection such as Cece had Um, could be a bad side effect of certain medications. Ear infections can actually cause a certain amount of hearing loss as well, although this is usually temporary, and it's because of the fluid that kind of builds up in the middle ear with an infection. If the fluid does hang around for a long time, that can affect uh, a child's hearing. And then another one to think about in our teenage populations, of course, is ongoing exposure to loud noises. Over time, this can uh, cause a certain amount of hearing loss. And so because of this, we do continue to screen usually for hearing issues as part of routine health checkups all throughout childhood. So in the book, after Cece gets sick, she realizes that there's something different about her hearing. And I mentioned earlier about the effectiveness of the graphic novel choice for this book. And I do wonder whether it was uh, kind of intentional to have a really visually heavy book, um, since deaf people tend to experience more of the world visually um, as compared to people with normal hearing. But I like it a lot. It feels very immersive um, as the reader is kind of right there along with Cece as she learns about her hearing loss. So some of the tactics that they use, for example, the illustrator uses empty uh, speech bubbles when Cece can't hear. The text of the speech bubble is kind of faded out uh, when she is able to hear some, but not everything. Um, and then, you know, things like the sizes of the characters to indicate the volume of that speech and how loud certain noises are for her, for example. So it's actually a very, very nice way of um, interpreting how she's hearing the world around her. So we go with her to the audiologist to get her hearing test done. And as a nerdy side note, I think Cece Bell, the author, actually included a picture of her actual hearing test from 1976 in one of the pictures in the book. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, So it turns out that Cece has pretty significant uh, hearing loss. And usually when we talk about hearing loss, we talk about uh, the severity can be anything from mild to profound. And in the show notes, I will place a link to a video that simulates what the different levels of hearing loss sound like. 
Cece ends up needing a hearing aid. And because it's 1976, it's almost like the size of a backpack um, that she wears under her clothes. And it is connected by two wires to some headphones that go in her ear. For a brief time, she goes to a deaf school where everyone is like her. All the kids wear hearing aids. Then she moves cities and goes to a new school and has to navigate the difficulties of communicating with new kids in a new environment. Because of the nature of her hearing aid, her teacher has to wear a microphone around her neck, which communicates directly with Cece's hearing aid so she can hear her better. And because the teacher keeps it on during the whole school day, Cece learns that she can hear her everywhere. Um, so that becomes, in essence, her, her superpower. Uh, so hence the question I asked in the beginning, what would you do with this power? With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> Anyway, so what I really like about this book is that the author does such a great job illustrating what the experience of being hard of hearing is like uh, for basic daily activities, from routine conversations to watching TV to having sleepovers. And um, there's so many things to kind of pick up from this and to learn. So what are a couple of things that I learned from El Defo? Number one, not all deaf people sign. So among those who are deaf or hard of hearing, there are those who choose to be a part of the deaf community with a capital D. And this group uh, generally embraces deafness as part of their identity as a difference, but not as a disability, not an impairment that needs to be fixed. So they typically choose to communicate using sign language rather than um, spoken language. Um, so children might go to a deaf school or learn sign language if their parents are interested in having them become a part of this community. This is not a choice that all deaf people make. Um, and we kind of see CC kind of struggle and push against um, being a part of this. Um, she hates the idea of people signing at her. <laughs> and she says, they're signing at me as if I automatically understand that because I'm deaf. Um, and she believes that it, it is only going to help people stare at her more. It's going to help her feel or seem more different than the other kids. So she doesn't want to be a part of it, even though her mom tries to get her to um, take some lessons at the local church. And her mom, you know, really gets into it and, and learns a lot of the sign language. But Cece, for her, that's not the choice that she wants to make. The second thing is that hearing aids do not completely fix hearing. So nowadays, um, there's a couple of different devices to assist hearing. There's hearing aids, which are external. They're removable. They amplify the sound for people who do have some residual hearing. Um, more recently, there are cochlear implants, and these are surgically implanted, and they can kind of bypass everything else about the ear. Remember kind of how we talked about the outer, middle, inner ear, and then the hearing nerve. So cochlear implants bypass all of that outer stuff and goes straight to um, stimulating the hearing nerve so that those uh, sensations and those vibrations can be sent to the brain. 
Well, back in 1976, CC had hearing aids. And although they made sounds a lot clearer, sometimes it was still difficult to distinguish certain sounds. So there's a couple of funny illustrations in there about a conversation she's having with a friend. And the friend asks if she wants a Coke. Uh, and there's an image of uh, her drinking a, a drink with a goat in it. Um, if she wants orange juice and she's hearing orange shoes. So there's still little uh, areas where she has difficulty distinguishing certain sounds. And so she does need to rely on um, lip reading and visual cues to kind of make sense of the context of the conversation that she's having. And another important factor in there is the environment as well. So loud places that have several conversations going on at the same time are more difficult for her. For example, uh, you can imagine school cafeterias, gyms, uh, playgrounds, um, areas where there are groups of neighborhood kids listening to music, for example. Um, those situations were a bit more difficult for her. So here are some tips that I kind of pulled out uh, that may be helpful when communicating with a deaf person. One, being closer, not like in their personal space, but <laughs> being able to be closer is much more effective than being across the room. Um, facing them when they're talking, because a lot of times, again, they might be augmenting what they're hearing with uh, the lip reading um, and you know, visual cues, your facial expression and things like that. So being able to see your face clearly is actually pretty helpful. Um, interestingly, I read an article uh, where a deaf person was kind of talking about the effects of the pandemic. And this is things that I never really considered before now. But the fact that everyone is wearing masks all around, you know, that does interfere with one of the ways in which they're able to communicate and understand people better with the lip reading. So that is a an effect of our protective measures during the pandemic that probably has had an adverse effect on that population. And then, of course, um, speaking clearly uh, is helpful. It's harder for her to hear soft speech. But she also mentioned that turning up the volume was not helpful in making the speech that she was hearing any clearer. It just um, made the gibberish sound louder. Um, it's kind of like going to a foreign country and someone is speaking in a language that you don't understand. Um, and you try to explain that you don't understand and they start speaking louder. And it's like, well, I, I still don't understand. Thank you. I can hear what you're saying louder, but I still don't understand it. So sometimes it's that piece of um, comprehension that might be the difficult part, even with um, hearing that has been corrected with hearing aids. And finally, one of the most important parts really is that communication is central to our connection with other people. So no matter the mode that is chosen, whether it is sign language or it is um, spoken uh, word and spoken language, at the end of the day, the desired outcome is for uh, the child to be able to uh, fully participate and, and connect and share um, the world with their peers and with their community. Um, Cece in the book talked about her bubble of loneliness where she often felt isolated even when she was doing things alongside other kids because she couldn't fully hear. Um, she couldn't hear 
and participate in the jokes. Um, she maybe couldn't hear the lyrics of the music. Um, she couldn't hear sometimes in the classroom if she didn't have a particular kind of hearing aid available to her. So um, being able to have those uh, connections through um, effective communication is one of the most important things uh, for the child. So um, when you think about the setting or the environment that you live in or work in, what are the things that can be uh, changed? How can that setting be made to function better for kids with hearing impairments? If you are, for example, a parent and you're having a sleepover, can you have closed captioning put on for the TV? We're in the middle of the pandemic and we're using video conferencing more, Zoom more. Um, is there closed captioning uh, or text to type available for that modality? When we're talking about medical care and we're talking about uh, increasing the use of telehealth, um, how is that working uh, for the deaf community as well? Do we have sign interpreters, for example, um, that are available for those modalities? Or do we have a text to type that can kind of take the input from uh, a voice and uh, translate that in real time uh, to text so that that person can uh, participate better in the conversation? So I think that those are things that we can kind of um, take away from here and, and think about the areas that we have control over. As I was making this episode, I'm also thinking how do you make this information kind of more accessible to people? Um, and, you know, one of those things could be through making a transcript of the episodes available. And so that might be something that I work on um, a little bit further down the line. All right. So those were my takeaways from El Defo. Uh, again, it is a fast, it's an entertaining read. Uh, all the images make it very engaging and, and fun to follow. And it's easy for kids and adults alike to understand more about the experience of being hard of hearing from this book and to pick up tips to help them communicate better with deaf people. So um, I would highly recommend it. Um, think about getting a copy. Thank you so much for joining me again here today at the Storytime Clinic. Let's keep learning together. For the show notes and links to the books I cover in this episode, please head over to the podcast website at www.storytimeclinic.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share this podcast with other people who may be interested. I'd also love to hear from you if you have book suggestions or health topics you'd like to see me cover. If you want to give me some feedback and help me make this podcast more valuable for you, I would also love to hear from you. You can leave a review on iTunes or send me an email at thestorytimeclinic at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and I will see you in the next episode.